the world leader in Internet Talk Radio. Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. For those of you who um, had some trouble uh, believing what I was talking about last week about the new natural-born killer case, as I called it, the couple in uh, Pennsylvania who, uh, with a young man, murdered allegedly murdered the parents of the young girl, um, I'm going to strain your credibility <laughs> or credulity even more this week. Um, I have on a real-life Ghostbuster. <laughs> That's what he calls himself, and I must say we have to keep our minds open because, I mean, the truth is that um, when you wake up in the morning and you put on the, uh, go to the Internet and you start reading the news, there are things that are more surprising than ghost-busting. Ghost-busting is kind of old news to some degree to some of the incredible things, incredible tragedies, incredible uh, disasters, um, that we are reading that are supposed to be the truth uh, in the news. So when it's times like this, um, it sometimes helps to open your mind up a bit and um, go beyond things that you believed to be true or that you were positive were true and the things that you were positive weren't true and to see what other people think and what they're basing all this on. My guest today is Paul Eno. He is an investigator of paranormal phenomenon, and he has been that for nearly 35 years. Uh, he's been involved in over 700 cases. He has a career as a military photo, photojournalist, a newspaper reporter, an editor, and um, a number of other things that he'll tell us about. He's been consulted by the Discovery Channel and the History Channel in regard to uh, ghostbusting and um, other paranormal issues, and um, he actually has a college degree and, and postgraduate degrees as well. So welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you very much, Dr. Carroll. Nice to be with you. Um, why don't we start with that? Because I know, or I would imagine, that when you do interviews or when you meet people in, in um, just in your normal everyday life, and you tell them what they do, what you do, yes, do you tell them what they do too? <laughs> then they'd really think, um, no, when you tell them what you do, you know, you must get a lot of raised eyebrows and people thinking that you're a nut um, or that you should, be lying, you should be on my couch, as a matter of fact. So let's start off by uh, telling my audience, my listeners, what... Um, what your academic background is, not that people can't have gone off the deep end once they've gotten out of academia, mind you, but at least that will start off with some credibility. Okay, well, I have a degree in philosophy, and uh, I did a double major in philosophy and abnormal psychology at the Wadhams Hall College in upstate New York, which doesn't exist anymore, but it was handy to the Ogdensburg State Hospital in uh, upstate New York where I did some field work. 
I also did some field work in the, the graduate level at the Norwich State Hospital in Connecticut. And you can tell I go back quite a few years because there are very few uh, inpatients now compared with what they were at the time. And I also uh, did uh, informal work with a number of, uh, of experts at the time, several of whom were clergy, uh, one of whom was Father John Nicola, a Jesuit, who was, the, uh, much to his own regret later on, the technical advisor for the film The Exorcist. Huh. But in any case, I have worked with a number of people over the years. Uh, I, I value people such as yourself. I have uh, a team, if you will, consisting of a soil engineer from the University of Rhode Island. Uh, now I'm happy to say an MD who is helping us along, a uh, psychiatric social worker, and several other people of that caliber. Really? So I, yeah. I, I try to be a serious investigator instead of somebody just running around in the basement with a flashlight and a video camera. Okay, and let's start off with how you got interested and involved in this. Well, at the tender age of 17, uh, there were some things going on in my house, which looking back on it were probably just, I don't know, mice in the walls or something, but uh, it was enough to get me interested in the subject, so I started to uh, study mean you thought there were ghosts in your house? Well, yeah, I was a kid, sure. Uh, I thought that might be possible, but again, looking back on it, I don't think that's what it was. But nevertheless, it got me started, and my first case in 1971, which also involved several... Well, but wait, 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 wait. Okay. Did you just... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's a giant leap um, from mice in the wall to your first case. I mean, how did you... Um, how did you sort of consider yourself qualified to have a case? Well, that, that's a good question. You know, at the time, this subject was not so popular. Uh, now, um, I, I do not have people come up to me and say, you know, well, you must be some kind of nut or whatever. Uh, perhaps it is uh, the, the academic background, which at least bears some uh, credit, you know, brings some credibility. And the fact that, one, that I'm a journalist, which supposedly I think brings more credibility. Uh, you know, at the time, it was, it was something out of the ordinary. Now, now it's a subject a lot of people are interested in. But at yes, the time, I, I, I meant by that, though, that, um, I mean, you know, of course, and you've developed quite a reputation and we'll give people, you've written books and all of that, and we'll, we'll talk about that. I mean, so if people know who you are, then yes, you have, by now, you've developed credibility in your field. I just mean the average person on the street who knows nothing about you, um, you know, when you first hear that, it, I, I think part of the reason why people want to think that you must be a nut if you're a ghostbuster is because it's frightening to a lot of people and they don't want to think that there could be something, you know, real like ghosts and real like ghostbusters. Well, that's true. That's why, in my work, I try to get beyond what most of the others do. And because I believe that once you understand something, you don't have to be afraid of it anymore. Right. Okay. Unless, of course, it has razor sharp teeth or something. But yeah. in this case, uh, that's usually not a problem. But I think that if if you simply approach it and you find out that, first of all, what most of our ancestors knew anyway, that that, that these things are part of life. They are not quite what we think they are, and. In my opinion, they can, they can give us whole new insights into how to understand one another, how to understand the universe, and, and uh, I think the paranormal is the key to most of those things. And yes, I and I, I really want to, I do want to get to that at the end, but let's take the journey with you. So you you presumably read as much as you could about these things, and, and then how did you get a first case? Well, I, I started to read, and of course there wasn't, much available, really. Uh, there isn't much available today that isn't rubbish, mm. in my opinion. Mm. I happened to see an article in the Hartford Current, Hartford, Connecticut, which is where I lived, uh, in 1970, October of 70. And, of course, at Halloween, they drag out all these cases, and pe yeah. they drag out people like me and different, different stories and things of this sort. Right. And I, I encountered a story about a lost village, so-called, in Pomfret, Connecticut, which is up in the very lovely northeastern corner of that state. 
and they had uh, supposedly some photos of, of streaks moving through the trees and witness, eyewitness accounts of voices and things of this kind. I said, well, this would be an interesting place to go take a look at. So I rounded up several classmates from uh, my school, and, which was uh, St. Thomas. It was a prep school in Connecticut. And also a fellow I knew who was a photo expert from the uh, United Technologies Corporation in Connecticut. And I wanted to take, we, we were never curiosity seekers. I always wanted to take a serious approach. I wanted to find out what was going on here, if anything. And uh, certainly with that case, we got far, far more than we bargained for. It's, mm. it's uh, in my book, Faces at the Window, it's, it's uh, extrapolated at length about this case and various photos. Um, so, so that's essentially, that was the first case, and it was a, uh, it was really it was really a baptism by fire. We, we ran into things we, we never would have believed otherwise. Like what? Well, for example, you'd walk into this place, and it was, it was long ago abandoned. It had been a village, and there were cellar holes and an old cemetery and this sort of thing, but all overgrown with woods. But you'd walk in there, and you would hear immediately uh, dogs barking, cows mm. mooing, people talking as though it were a normal day in the life of, you know, somebody else. And uh, we had, uh, I, as your show wasn't long enough to be sort of tell you everything that occurred. What we heard, for example, in the evening, and we had set up some recording equipment, uh, we heard the voices of children, for example, moving rapidly, unnaturally rapidly, up and down a brook that was adjacent to this site. Uh, we stood there and, and heard an ox cart, move, what sounded like mm. an ox cart, moving through the woods in an area not, totally impenetrable, not more than 20 or 30 feet away. And we heard the wooden wheels. We heard the, the hoof beats of the oxen or horses. We heard a guy yelling, yeah, yeah. We heard the crack mm-hmm. of a whip. And this is when I started to question what this really is. Okay, I said, are, we, are, there, are there spirits of ox carts? Are there spirits of horses and whips? Or, or are we dealing more with time than we are with death? And on that very first case, I started to ask these questions. And maybe that's what... Mm-hmm led me into journalism, because I think I'm asking questions nobody else asks about this field. So that's how it started. And, and about how many of you were there? Well, there were six of us. And were you all sort of scratching your heads, wondering if you, you know, were each hearing this? And you might say that. Yeah, well, it was, it was as clear as a bell. We all heard it, and we were all standing in different places, and we sort of looked at each other. And, and matter of fact, we got out of the, of the way, because we thought yeah. there actually was a cart coming. Huh. And uh, you know, and there is an interesting phenomenon. And uh, people have asked me, you know, if you run toward this, will you get like sucked into another world, another time, or whatever? Yes. And I've actually tried that. <laughs> as far as I know, I'm still here. But what uh, what happened is is that you know, if you run toward it, it's just over there. And you run over there, it's just over there. Why? Huh. Because Einstein proved that space and time are curved. Okay. And I think that uh, we're beginning. I, <laughs> this is why I think this is the start of a key here to understanding how the universe really works. And so that's, that's when I began to think about these things on that very first case. Well, that's very interesting. Now, you said that you recorded it. So were you able to, pl- when you played these things, were, did you have the sounds? Were they there? or? Well, actually, no, it wouldn't record. Now, we, we, were, not, we were just leaving the site when this ox cart thing occurred. So we didn't have our equipment set up, but the, the voices of the children and things yeah. of that kind uh, did not. Now, we had, again, this is 1971, and uh, the technology is not what it is today. And I don't rely a lot on technology, frankly. Uh, but in any case, we, we got all we got were the photographs and? of uh, various phenomena. Uh, like what? Well, for example, okay, at this in the little cemetery that was just above the uh, this abandoned village, uh, we had uh, taken a shot and found there was a a, uh, a baby-like figure. That's the best way I can describe it. Sort of in the branches of this this tree. 
you know, a very odd thing. It's not the kind of thing you usually think of with any kind of a so-called haunting, right? And we actually saw that the previous evening. Or I should say the evening after we, we actually took the shots because we went back to the place after dark and to see what we could see. And uh, the photo lab, we immediately would tie into a, uh, a photo lab uh, associated with Kodak. It was in the East Hartford, Connecticut, and they would look at the negative, and, and they could tell, they can't tell you, well, this is a ghost, but they can tell you, well, this is not a reflection, that this is not some sort of other, you know, thing that's mm. explainable by lens flare or any of these other things. Mm. But it is, uh, it is an anomaly, as they might say. And wouldn't you know, that many years later, I found in a book of local history in that area, uh, accounts of how people from the village would never go to that cemetery at night because of, quote, ghosts seen reclining in the branches of a certain elm tree, unquote. Oh, wow. And that was a report from 200 years before we saw that, that particular event. So all these things uh, were involved in my first case, and, and it uh, was quite a start. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> quite a start to the show, too. That's really, you've hooked me in. Um, just one quick question before we have to take a break. Did the other people who came with you on that uh, field trip, are they still working with the paranormal? Actually, one of them became a priest. I guess in a way some of this stuff can make you religious very quickly. Yes. Uh, in other cases, um, I have lost touch with them. Again, this is a, well over 30 years ago. Right. But uh, as far as I know, I'm the only one who kept going with it. Hmm. That's really interesting. But when we'll come back, we'll hear some more ghost stories with my guest, Paul Eno. Um, he's the author of Footsteps in the Attic and other books, and we'll hear more about that as well. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host. That's host, not ghost, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Informative, educational, insightful. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com do you have questions concerning your personal portfolio? And would you like to know where the market's going before it gets there? Then you need to tune in to Elite Masters of Trading, hosted by the Traders Coach Robin Day, every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Robin has great ideas on how to invest, save, and make money. So become an elite trader in the market every Wednesday at 10 a.m. with the Traders Coach Robin Dane and Elite Masters of Trading, right here on the Voice America Radio Network. Information you need, when you need it, voiceamerica.com. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rack and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. 
This week on the Dragon Page with Michael and Evo, two more authors join us. Barbara Hambly is up first to talk about Circle of the Moon, and then Michelle Welch talks with us in studio about Chasing Fire. That's this week on the Dragon Page with Michael and Evo. That's the Dragon Page, every Saturday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on voiceamerica.com. Continuing to be the authority in Internet Talk Radio, you're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Carol, call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now let's get back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is Paul Eno. He is the author of Faces at the Window and Footsteps in the Attic. Uh, he is a real-life ghostbuster, and uh, as you've already been able to tell, he you know, puts um, a lot of original thought into these phenomena, trying to understand what they mean, um, both in terms of uh, what they mean for the paranormal, and then also we'll be talking about what they might mean for us at this confused time in our history. So, why don't we? Um, we were hearing about your first uh, your first case, which which really sounds fascinating. It was you know, what's really so uh, makes it so believable is um, the idea that that you read about this so after you actually you, you read about seeing the history of the town after you actually saw. The phenomena, and you know that makes it a lot more um, credible that you weren't going there expecting to see that, and you know then saw it. That's true. Yeah. Well, again, that was the genesis of my own theories and methods that developed as I went, because I see the same characteristics in many of these cases as as I went along. Okay. So why don't you uh, continue with your journey? Okay. Well, probably people ask me all the time, what was the the strangest case I ever yeah. dealt with? And hands down, it had to be a case that occurred in, in 1978 uh, when I when I was uh, just out of grad school and had nothing and was living in a little house by a lake in Connecticut. And uh, leaving that, I was supporting myself uh, writing plays for the Connecticut Dance Theater. Hmm. And uh, I got a call Maybe one it's day. all about Connecticut. <laughs> I'm sorry? I said, maybe this is all about Connecticut. Well, stay away from Connecticut if you don't like that. Right. So the phone rang one day, and it was a young lady from the University of Connecticut, and she said she was very worried about her sister. Uh, They had been in Maine with some friends the previous weekend, and they had been driving around a band. And and the younger sister was very interested in the occult and all this reincarnation and all this stuff. So the older girl told me, well, we came around this bend, and my sister suddenly started to yell, stop the car, stop the car, that's my house. And they said, well, brother, she's really gone this time, but she jumped out of the car, ran up to the house, and started knocking on the door, and the others caught up with her. Well, just as they caught up with her, the door opened, and there was a a woman in her 40s who answered the door, took one look at this girl, screamed, and fell back into the house, rather rather stumbled back. Uh, A man came to the door who turned out to be her husband, and he couldn't speak when he saw this girl. And eventually, uh, the girl began, everybody had the creeps by this time, and the, the girl herself began to, to apologize for bothering her. She said, I'm sorry for intruding. I just saw this house, and I felt that I, I know this house. The man found his tongue and said, you should know this house. You haunt it. So I said, wow, I've got to get into this. 
So the kids uh, eventually, you know, came down the driveway and they caught a name on the mailbox. Now, as luck would have it, uh, my mother's family had owned a, a summer home rather near this area in Maine for over a hundred years, and so we obviously we had some folks we knew in the town. So I called on a few connections and I got the phone number and the address of these folks. I didn't dare call the man. What I did was to write to, to them and, and tell them who I was and put in every reference I could think of, every, every you know, professor I'd worked with, the psychiatrist, mm-hmm. whoever. And uh, I got a phone call. And he said, uh, what apparently what had happened was this. Uh, the young girl, after this occurred, I, I set her up with the, the MMPI, uh, which is, yes. as you know, the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, a pre-diagnostic tool that, uh, that uh, psychologists, psychiatrists will use. And uh, that she was uh, taking that. And she had said that she had had dreams of being in this house, coming down the stairs, looking out the window, and things of this kind. When I interviewed the people in this house who had never had any contact with this other family before, they said they had seen her in transparent form coming down the stairs, looking out the window, doing all the things Mm. that she described in her dreams. So, uh, you know, this, this is 1978. I had not really gotten too involved with quantum physics, the study of this, this really bizarre branch of physics that I think can help explain all this. And I began to, obviously, we're not dealing with a spirit of the dead here. We're dealing with a ghost who is the ghost of someone who is alive. And I was interested, how does this work? Yeah. So, interestingly enough, once these people met, all phenomena ceased. All right? hmm. now, now, the real fascinating thing here for me was that the girl described... Uh, her experience as as being one who was the owner of this house, and in these dreams she had children, and this couple in the house had no children. And she said the first thing she saw was the, was the, the yard of the house and wondered why there weren't any toys in it. So now, if I knew then what I know now, I would look or think I know now. I would look back and say, well, we have people here having a, a mutual experience of the same parallel worlds. Yes. Okay, and this is where it really began to click. We're, we're dealing with something far, far more interesting and far, far more uh, fascinating, I think, than, uh, than ghosts as spirits of the dead. Uh, now, we, this is where we get into quantum mechanics, you know, the idea okay. that, that uh, what, what the science seems to say and how many physicists, not all, but many interpret it, is that we live in, as it were, suppose it's like a bathtub with soap bubbles. And what do these soap bubbles do? Each of them it seems to be in a world not necessarily separate from one another. Sometimes they pass through one another. Sometimes they impinge upon one another. Sometimes they pop. Each one of these seems to be a world, and in many of them we are alive, our loved ones and everyone else, and this seems to be the clue to how something like this in Maine could have occurred. Now, that's the only time in 35 years I've run into a case of that sort where people have met one another uh, and after having had mutual experience of, of uh, the same paranormal experience of that kind. And so, uh, did you keep in touch with them at all? I mean, do you know what, um, I mean, you said that the, the haunting ceased, but uh, did, I don't know, did, how did their lives change? Well, I always follow up, you know, obviously not for 30 years, but, I mean, for as long as I can afterwards. Uh, the, the family in the main house moved, and uh, they uh, had sold the place immediately. They they become so frightened of these apparitions of this girl that they had taken to walking around the house together. They wouldn't even be in their own house alone. They were too frightened. Uh, they they moved to another place in Maine, <coughs> rather rather distant from where they were. And I kept in touch with them for a while. They never had any more experiences. The young girl uh, went on to uh, to graduate, and I lost touch with her after that. But she maintained her interest in the phenomena. But but she was she was very 
um, it did change her personality perhaps for the worse. She was frightened of this entire experience and yeah. couldn't understand it. And, and uh, they, they were all very, very frightened. And I don't think that was necessary, but uh, they were. And again, if, if, if I do then what I believe now, I think that uh, perhaps it could be, could be explained. And, you know, how do, how do we banish fear? We, we do it with understanding. And, uh, and, well, did you ever find out what the, why there was this discrepancy about children or what the significance of the children was? Well, in my opinion, uh, in the, uni- the world or the universe in which this girl was living in this house, she was the, the owner of the house and the mother of the children. In quantum mechanics, all poss- anything that's possible exists side by side in, in parallel worlds. There's no past, no future, no time as we understand it. Einstein, who couldn't handle it, he didn't deny it, but he couldn't deal with it. He just said it's too crazy. Uh, he, he believed even that uh, time is a function of our consciousness you know, and that it doesn't exist in any objective way. And this seems to be... Proven out here. Now these these people will be physicists. There'll be people like Einstein and people of lesser caliber. They'll sit around the lab and they will do some work. They'll do some experiments and they'll speculate. I believe I go out and I see it day to day. I believe what they're speculating uh-huh, about, uh-huh. What, what they talk about. I believe I see it. I mean, I wonder. It would have been interesting if uh, if these this couple, for example, had had children that died. Or um, I mean, boy, I, I would imagine that would be something. Very difficult for this girl's. I mean, the family could move, but for the girl who supposedly was in their house, and and it was only in her dreams. I could imagine that that would be a very yeah. um, traumatic kind of experience for her. I would love to know what happened to her uh, thirty years later. Well, I would too. But Dr. Carroll, I'll tell you this: in thirty-five years of paranormal investigation, I have seen no evidence whatsoever that people die. Not even our bodies. Now, bear with me on that one. Yeah. But, uh, again, I believe it's, it's all, uh, it's, a, it's a kind of world that is absolutely very, very much unlike what we see around us. I believe that, uh, you know, it's, it's quite different, quite different. So, uh, as I say, uh, I didn't just you know, come up with this stuff uh, theoretically. I believe that I've seen it in, in various cases. Uh, there are a number of other cases. Uh, where I believe that they've seen this as well. Uh, generally, it's, it's interpreted that uh, when you have a, a, a ghost or a, a person uh, in trouble in a, in a house, you know, you go in and you kind of uh, be nice and, and you try to help them pass over. Well, again, uh, not believing in death, I think I would take a different approach. Well, well but, could you back up on that? You know, when you say, I mean, obviously that's quite a statement that you don't believe in death. And by that, you mean that you believe that people sort of go from one so bubble to another? In a sense, uh, yes, but in a sense, no, because we're already there mm. in many of them, okay? This is why this girl can be living her life at the University of Connecticut and was also living a parallel life, apparently, in, in, these, um, in this house in Maine with children. Now, I, I, I've often asked, I love to talk to regression therapists, and if anybody doesn't know what that is, it's someone who will hypnotize someone and uh, take them back to the quote-unquote past lives, okay? Now, again, time not existing in this scenario where their past lives are impossible, but parallel lives are what we seem to have. Um, and, again, if hypnotism is, does what we believe it does or what some people believe it does and all this is valid, then um, the question that I ask them is, is uh, interesting. And I'll ask, do you ever encounter subjects, do you ever have subjects who describe a world that you don't recognize? Mm. Very often they will say, gee, funny, you should ask. Mm. And uh, I've had several who've told me that uh, when they've regressed people, and they've asked them what year it is. Uh, they said one one said it was twenty one forty eight. 
and there were several dates given that, that were in the distant future and, so, and some that did not resemble dates as we use them at all. So, again, if this is legit, you know, hypnotism and all this and this sort of thing, then we, we have uh, certainly uh, evidence of future lives being lived at the same time as this one as well. Hmm. Now, the question is why are we only conscious of one? Yes. Well, uh, I think that we have not a, a, approached the point of our, in our evolution in which we can get beyond that. I think we're conscious of one at a time, and uh, of some of us anyway. And this is what leads into questions such as, uh, you know, with schizophrenics, people with TLE, this sort of thing, temporal lobe epilepsy. Um, you and I have both worked in psychiatric hospitals, I'm sure. And when you look into the eyes of a schizophrenic, at times you get the most knowing look yeah. that comes back. And it's, I find, I've always found it extremely disconcerting. Hmm. And I have always wondered, is it possible that rather than the condition creating the illusion in the minds of these people that they're experiencing whatever it is they're experiencing, does the condition open doors to actual parallel worlds in which these people really are experiencing these things, and we're the ones who are on the, on the outside of the door, so to speak? Yes, well, I certainly um, go along with that. I mean, I, I, I know what you mean, and it is that kind of look where they're in their world and, and they're kind of looking at you for being strange, in the world that we've created, our modern world, and it doesn't take very much to uh, to think that that's strange. That's true. <laughs> and getting stranger. My guest today, we have to take a break. My guest is Paul Eno. Uh, he's been seen on the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, and the Travel Channel. He, channels. He's been a prize. He is a prize-winning journalist, author, speaker, visionary, and uh, one of the world's most experienced paranormal investigators. When we come back, we'll um, be hearing more of his ghost stories. And I want to talk about um, what this... Well, actually, before we talk about the significance of this in the world, I want to hear about um, some a case that you did, a case or two that you did in Britain. I understand that you've uh, been ghost-busting over there as well. So we'll be back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Bringing the world together. You're listening to America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Are you feeling stuck in some part of your life? You might have some crust busting to do. Crust is anything that you think, feel, or believe that prevents you from living life full out. Step into the crust-free zone with me, Dr. Pat Vasily, and get ready to do some serious crust busting. Join us on Thursday mornings on voiceamerica.com at 8 a.m. Pacific time for crust busting your way to an awesome life. 
Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have a nationally known guest that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. Cutting edge. Challenging. Stimulating. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. When tax time comes, are you the person that goes to your accountant with a shoebox literally full of receipts? Stop wasting your accountant's time as well as your own by organizing your finances with the help of Joe Dunphy and Poor Richard Shoebox. Heard live every Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, Poor Richard Shoebox will let you know what you can do to organize for tax time as well as how to get the most out of your retirement. So get all of your receipts together and tune in to Poor Richard Shoebox with Joe Dunphy every Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on the Voice America Radio Network. Business, sports, religion, legal, pets, entertainment. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Carol, call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now let's get back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host. Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is Paul Eno. We've been talking about his ghostbusting and paranormal experiences. And um, he has a take on it that goes beyond uh, Casper, (laughs) who used to be one of my favorites. (laughs) Um, Why don't we, right before the break, I was uh, suggesting that you tell us about an experience or two that you had in Britain in regard to ghostbusting. Sure. Well, I was sent over there by a magazine in 1989 to do a story on the, what was that, interestingly called the Black Beast of Exmoor. And what it actually is is a, a mountain lion or something that was running around eating the sheep and, and creating all kinds of a stir. And those, those creatures are not native to Britain, so it was a big deal. But while I was there, I investigated two two sites that were quite interesting. One is in uh, the, the moors of, of Dartmoor down there in southern uh, Devon, the county of Devon, uh, and that's near where Sherlock Holmes set his uh, famous story, The Hound of the Baskervilles. And they didn't run into any hounds, but uh, in a way, I suppose I might as well have, because I, I took off over the moors uh, you know, on a hike, and I was told that there was a, an ancient oak woodland there called Wistman's Wood, and I looked up the word Wistman's later on, and, that meant, and it means wizards. It's an old Anglo-Saxon word for wizard. And while I was in there, a very, very odd place, the, the energies, so to speak, the geotechnics, I suppose, are very interesting. There's a, a large a bunch of granite, sort of, or not granite, a quartz vein running right through the middle of the woods, dividing the trees. And uh, I found out from my soil engineer and another number of other people that these things can create interesting uh, electromagnetic fields. But in any mm-hmm. case, I was in there, and I happened to see uh, a figure uh, near the edge of the, of the trees, about maybe 30 feet away, and it was half a figure, okay, the upper half of a man dressed in furs and, uh, you know, who sort of was looking out across the moor. And at one point, and this went on for about seven or eight seconds, rather long for this sort of apparition, and I'm usually not the sort of person who sees these things. Usually I, I feel them or hear them. 
but the apparitions like this are unusual for me. Uh, he, she, or it kind of turned toward me and and didn't uh, didn't see me. I don't think, but kind of looked through me. And you know, this is often uh, you know you often get the feeling that you're being watched or something. And I wonder if it's uh-huh. not across these worlds or whatever, the membranes uh, being thin. And uh, then it disappeared, and uh, I have no idea what it was. And of course, uh, psychologist friends of mine said, "Well, oh, maybe you were having a temporal lobe experience or something." And maybe I was, but. Um, with the experience I have, I like to think, well, maybe I can tell the difference between that and something that was actually happening. So that, right. that that's written up in Footsteps in the Attic, that experience. And then over in the county of well, Kent. Well, did you, did you, um, did, were you able to connect it to some kind of historical figure or something that had been known to have happened there? Not really. Uh, what had been known to happen there was that the, this is how old this forest is. The Romans uh, chased. They didn't like the Druids because they had this rather annoying habit of human sacrifice, supposedly, and they would run into these woods and hide from the Roman soldiers. And now that's the only thing that possibly could have, I suppose, maybe it was a, some sort of Druid from who knows where or who knows when, uh, sort of coming through. But uh, I don't know. I really don't know. Maybe it was an ancestor of mine. I had mobs of ancestors came from that particular vicinity. Hmm. Hmm. So um, I, I don't know. Sometimes um, when you have an experience, I thought it was rather rather beautiful, actually. And uh, sometimes when you pick it apart and analyze it, it kind of ruins uh-huh. it. You know? <laughs> and since no, no one seemed to be really having any, there wasn't any haunted house at stake or no you know major problems going on in the area, I thought I'd just sort of enjoy it. But then again, over in the county of Kent, uh, I was able to, um, uh, I met an old friend who I'd been in the service with and went to a wonderful pub there. That had supposedly the Red Lion, supposedly in in the continuous operation since the 1600s, and some local fellows that he knew came in, and they all we all joined up, and they found out I was an author and a paranormal investigator and this sort of thing, and and they they started uh, chirping all about the ghosts and the Red Lion and the particular house uh, called Cleve Court out in the outskirts of the town near an airport uh, where there had been some interesting goings on. One of the fellows claimed to be the grand nephew of a of a Doctor Moon. Uh, no relation to the good reverend, as far as I know, but he had been a doctor in the area in the 1930s. And one of his patients had lived at Cleve Court, and the fellow was uh, Sir Edward Carson, who was known in British politics as more or less the founder of Northern Ireland, something my Irish friends consider a dubious distinction. But in any case, the guy was very ill, had uh, terminal lung disease, and Dr. Moon would check on him every day. Well, one day in 1934, uh, Moon was coming out of the house and happened to be very much in deep thought about the, the fate of his patient, and he looked up, and 1934 was gone. He looked out, and where the wall had been in the road, there was just a, a dirt track going across the field. And on this path was a man dressed in what appeared to be 18th century garb, or even before that, and was carrying some sort of a primitive firearm on his shoulder. Well, this fellow looked up and saw, apparently, Dr. Moon. They, they actually caught sight of each other. And what the man saw, I don't know, but uh, what Dr. Moon saw was quite disturbing, they looked at each other for just a few moments. Uh, Dr. Moon was very taken aback, looked back to see if the house was still there, and then turned back in 1934 and returned. There was his car and the road and all this stuff. Mm. Now, usually I'm very wary of, of leaving cases that are experienced only by one person, even though in a court of law an eyewitnesses, you know, the, the bee's knees, but in paranormal phenomena you need other witnesses if possible. Yeah. However, the way this man was described to me as being absolutely scientific, quote-unquote, an absolute materialist, a person who would never, ever go in for this sort of thing, didn't have an imaginative thought in his life, and then came back and was changed forever by mm-hmm. this experience. Uh, then it kind in of what way? 
Well, he didn't. He never knew what to believe anymore. He started going to church a lot. His mm. wife, uh, his wife said he became more quiet, very pensive, uh, but he would not talk about his experience unless prodded. All right, and uh, it, it, it changed his entire outlook on on the world. It being, you know, the outlook that it can be a very disconcerting experience to, to realize that what you see around you is not necessarily what you get. Yes. Now, now I, I guess that that's kind of a more general problem because here. Um, now, I'd like you to tell us about what kind of significance you see in uh, these kinds of paranormal events um, for our current times. And, and I guess the problem, or a problem with this, is that, I mean, for example, if you were able to say with certainty, um, or sufficient certainty, that such and such was the case, and... Um, uh, it would be very, it's not just about what you have to say and how much backup you have for it, but it's also about people being ready to hear your message. So how do you deal with this whole thing? Well, I think that first of all, the step one here is to realize that we know nothing, virtually nothing about our universe about our world, about ourselves. We like to think that we do. And I think it's the most terrifying thought to the human heart and mind to know nothing, okay? And it's the paranormal that I think can be the key to knowing something. The paranormal, after all, when you look at it, is the origin of science. It's the origin of religion. You know, science and religion are siblings with the same mother. You know, the paranormal, the unexplained. You know, our, our, our terror of the unexplained and, and, and our desire to explain it are the origins of these of these two phenomena, science and religion. And I think that if we start there by realizing in humility that we know nothing and that all we really have is each other, you know, uh, then, then that's the beginning of knowledge, in my opinion. Now, what, what, what lessons can the paranormal possibly have? Okay, well, most, most people who are paranormal investigators will tell you that they are, they are trying to prove the existence of an afterlife. Uh-huh. Now, that's fine, but, I mean, to me, if you don't ask the right questions, you can't get the right answers. And to me, asking about death in the afterlife is the wrong question, because in my opinion, there is no death. And I think that down deep, our, our ancient, our most remote ancestors, even some of our not-so-remote ancestors, our own hearts, our own religions, our own science, I think down deep we know that these other worlds are there. We know that death really doesn't exist in the sense that we've understood it. And I think that this is the beginning. I think we, because whenever I speak on this, people, I watch people's eyes. It's like I just reminded them of something they already knew. Mm. And it sounds strange because it, it's not, not something most people think about, but that's the problem. So that's, I think, where we begin, by realizing we have to start all over again. We have to forget what we knew, and we have to kind of come together on this kind of stuff. Uh, I think that our religions knew it. And, and for example, I, you know, I often will cite, Whatever religion people happen to be, they'll always have heard, love your neighbor as yourself, okay, that thing from the Gospel of Matthew. But if you look at it in Greek, uh, the language in which it was written, it says, love your neighbor because he is yourself. Mm. Very different, okay? And when we get into the whole idea of, of what ghosts are and these other worlds and all this stuff, we are, in my opinion, we are there in many different worlds, and it's all us. You know, and it's a strange concept, but we are there. That's why I don't believe in death, because you're always in one of these worlds, and you're always connected with yourself and your loved ones. Now, beyond this, there's a really, there is a scary part. It's not all warm and fuzzy. We're not the only denizens of the universe. 
Okay, there are other life forms, and I think there are life forms that are responsible for our legends of demons, evil spirits, what have you. Even vampires. One of the most original uh, ideas about vampires from ancient ancient China, the ancient Middle East, that this idea of life-sucking ghosts. That's actually how it translates from the ancient Babylonian. And when you have what I refer to as parasitical entities in some of these other worlds, if you will, that somehow can ha- seem to have access to us to feed upon our energy. And this is actually what I find. And when you look at poltergeists, and I've seen, I've been injured by poltergeists and flying furniture and all this stuff, and not not frequently, fortunately, but in several cases, uh, I think we're dealing with these these parasites. I don't think they're spirits of the dead. I don't think they're they're demons in the theological sense. I think they're they're life forms that are simply trying to eat. Well, that sounds pretty interesting, and I, I do want to hear more about um, how you describe that. Um, you know, it, it is it is kind of an overwhelming sort of uh, sort of thinking, um, especially. I mean, what about the idea of how we bury people? And oh, I mean, true. I guess that doesn't matter. You can sit well. You can exist in various forms and be be in one bubble or the other. Sure. Well, all right, we'll have to get back to this. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Um, when we come back, the uh, time is going too quickly, but we can sort of change that, right? <laughs> <laughs> My guest today is Paul Eno, uh, a real-life Ghostbuster, the author of Footsteps in the Attic and Faces at the Window. And uh, we will hear more about what the significance is um, of some of the conclusions or theories that he's been coming to over his 35 years uh, when we get back you're listening to dr carol's couch and i'm your psychiatrist host dr carol lieberman bringing the world together you're listening to america's voice VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to Jeffrey Getterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. You want the truth? Face the facts. This is voiceamerica.com. Depend on it. Hello, this is Rory Garay, President of Greyhound Pets of America and host of Greyhounds Made Great Pets on Voice America. 
Join me every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern for an insightful and enjoyable talk about one of man's best friends, the Greyhound. Learn about the history of the Greyhound, discuss proper obedience and training techniques, and find out more about the Greyhound racing industry and what they are doing to help the adoption effort of the former race dog. If you own a Greyhound or just love dogs like I do, join me for Greyhounds Make Great Pets every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. The world leader in Internet Talk Radio. Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Carol, call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now let's get back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. Today we're talking with the author of Footsteps in the Attic and Faces at the Window. His name is Paul Eno. For 35 years he has been busting ghosts and also theories about the paranormal. Before uh, the break, we were starting to talk about something that he calls parasites. Why don't you explain what that is, first of all? Okay, well, this is where it gets really, really, really weird. All right. Uh, I cannot come to any other conclusion from what I've seen over the many years than that there are, are life forms that people will interpret as ghosts sometimes that come in from other parallel, if you want to call them dimensions, worlds, whatever, and feed upon our energy. Any student of folklore will tell you that there's always some grain of truth in what we believe in, in the sense of folklore. And that the ancient stories of vampires you know, have to do with, as I say, life-sucking ghosts, as we mentioned before. And I think these are parasites. All our legends of evil spirits or whatever, I think, are responsible, um, are, are symbols, if you will, of, of these, these parasitical entities. I see them all the time. Uh, they... Uh, they will get into houses and, and seem to latch uh, on to people who are particularly vulnerable. I find particularly women who have been abused uh, often are, are the targets of these things. And what they simply do is, is literally suck out uh, your energy. And uh, the reason I have now a, a doctor uh, on my gang here, so to speak, when we investigate these cases, is because I want to know if they can cause health problems such as chronic fatigue syndrome, things that, that we do run into that have been diagnosed in uh, many of these families. And I think that beyond that, uh, we as a species are in some cases being farmed like cattle by these things. They're very intelligent. They will sometimes pretend to be Uncle George or whoever, you know, and try to win confidence. They seem to be intelligent. They seem to be able to learn very quickly. Wait, wait, wait. What do you mean they pretend to be Uncle George? So in other words, it's not just like a, a um, um, uh, like a vapor-like or evanescent kind of um, figure, but it actually takes on a human form? It can, yeah. Uh, I've seen this time and again. For example, I, maybe it's the journalist in me, but I don't trust these things. People today, you know, they, they take things at face value despite what may have happened in their lives. And I always get, I'm always amazed when people will, will, will do a seance or a Ouija board, something I, I vehemently, you know, discourage. And they'll believe everything they're told. Mm-hmm. I don't believe half the people I meet on the street. Neither do you, nor should we. You know. Mm-hmm. But here we have a situation where people are taking things at face value. I'll very often go into a house and they'll say, and they get a very negative feeling about it. And they'll say, oh, it's just Aunt Jane. You know, She died last year and she's taking care of us. Well, I'll go in and I'll see negative aspects to this. Uh, for example, um, I don't know, the, the, uh, there's some, something playing Frisbee with a fine china. Okay? I mean, your loving ancestors are not going to do that. And I'll say, I don't believe your Aunt Jane. 
Okay, the whole nature of the thing will change. It will become negative, and it will be more like what I believe to be a parasite. Uh, I've seen these things. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Who is throwing the China? You mean like a real person or? Oh, no, no, the, the, uh, the poltergeist phenomenon. Okay. As, uh, we had to describe previously. Yeah, I've okay. to that a number of times. All right, but no, because I was wondering when you said about Uncle George or whoever, I mean, is it, these are still pol- poltergeists or ghosts. It's not that the people are, it's not that you're saying a real Uncle George, for example. Oh, no, no, of course. No, it's Uncle George who may have passed on, right? Okay. And, uh, you know, I hesitate to use the term ghost because people think, what, death? Spirit. I don't think these. I don't know if these things even are spirits. I think in, in their own particular realms of reality, they may be just as physical as we are. Okay. And why are they farming us for the energy? For the energy. Yeah. Well, why don't they have their own? Why? Why do some people or some of these? I don't know what to call them. Let's say ghosts, just for the sake of. All right. Um, why do they need our energy? Well, that's it. well. Why do mosquitoes need to suck our blood? You know, it's the same thing. I think they're, they're sort of cosmic mosquitoes. Like, I could be wrong about this, but I rather doubt it. I mean, I've seen it time and again. And uh, the, the methods to deal with these things always seem to work. Yeah. Now, uh, I always joke that I'm a Republican. I'm not a touchy-feely guy. But love does seem to be the answer here. When you go into these cases, I used to go in, you know, years ago with, with you know, clergy of whatever religion the people happened to be, if any, uh, you know, all this stuff, and it wouldn't always work. What always worked, was the notion of, of love. If you establish good humor, good feeling, uh, faith, good, you know, whatever is good in a family, which is good for any family anyway, then these, these problems will, will be, nothing can touch you. I'll give you a perfect example. In, in Burrowville, Rhode Island, there was a nasty case starting in 1998 where a young woman who'd been abused and everything else that happened to her in her life was the victim of, in my opinion, a parasite. And uh, when we went in there, I decided, well, what we're going to do is try and get her to think positive, to take control, and not to be a victim anymore. All right? So what we did was to do that. She had a very supportive family, fortunately. And we were down in, in their basement at one point. And they had, there were various phenomena going on. And when we were down in the basement, uh, she said the thing was on her, as that was her term. And uh, she wasn't faking it because her hair was standing up and the... Uh, her skin was all full of goosebumps and all this sort of thing. So I said to, to her, her husband, I said, Steve, take her hand. So I took one hand. He took the other. The thing backed right off. Mm. And he said, you know, Paul, you could have lectured me for an, uh, an hour or two on, on love driving this thing out, but now I see what you mean. Mm. As soon as we took her hand, the thing, as soon as you stand in solidarity together, not, these things can't touch you. And I was back there only a few weeks ago, uh, and, and I was astounded. And what I found, because the man said, Paul, you've got to see this. We went out into the backyard, and it's a, it's a large rural you know, piece of property, and the thing would hang out in this corner of an area, very interestingly, near high-tension wires. to find these things kind of run on electricity. They'll even send your electric bill sky high. And I could feel the presence of this thing. And it, it, was, it knew who I was. It was bitter. And it was sulking because it could not get at this family anymore. And it seemed to be attached to, to the property for some reason because the electrical fields are rather strange, according to my uh, you know, electrical engineer who was with me on the original case. And I, just, I thought it was absolutely fascinating. This thing could not get to her simply because this family had come together in solidarity, in, in, in good feeling and good humor and love, and nothing can touch them. And that, to me, that, that's the essence of the whole message for, for all of us, not just for them, you know. Whether it be a human parasite, a terrorist, or you know, whether it be one of these these trans-dimensional entities or whatever you want to call it, 
Nothing can touch you if if we stick together. Well, that's a very um, a very profound message. I mean, so you could take it one step further and say that perhaps the purpose of these parasites is to teach us that very concept. Well, I don't know if that's in their minds. I mean, when when I've studied these things close up, which I, I don't often have a chance to do, but there was another case where I was actually able to sit in a room. And uh, again, I, you know, I, I re- I've actually I've gotten some on film here and there, and on the website uh, there, there are some uh, pictures. But uh, I also believe that you know I just uh, can feel the presence of these things and what they're thinking. You know, just as you can with another human being. I don't feel that they're spirits. I feel that they are entities, life forms who are, who are cold, rather sterile, and uh, need to eat. And uh, when they don't, they get weak. And when they, they do, when they do get enough to eat, they, by pushing buttons or whatever, they get stronger. They can turn into stuff like poltergeist. And I guess what you're saying then is that they're, they don't have. It's not their good heart that would be purposely doing it. That if it is that, if they, if that is their purpose, it's by some um, other or higher um, phenomenon that is sending them around to do this. That they're not doing this out of the goodness of their heart because. They don't seem to have much goodness in their heart. Is that the point? Well, this is all part of the biosphere. You know, it's all part of the, the, the whole cycle of life. And whether, whether uh, life forms intend to do it or not, they have a purpose. Mm-hmm. And the purpose generally turns out to be a positive one. So mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think they have good hearts, but I think they, in a way, can teach us some lessons. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been an incredibly fascinating chat. I know you could go on <laughs> for probably another uh, large number of hours and in since that's not possible, I will. Why don't you give people some of your websites or, or the, uh, that you'd like them to look at? There certainly is. The websites are very interesting. There's a lot more information, and also there's a way to buy your books. So why don't you tell us about that? Uh, sure. Well, probably the best one is footstepsintheattic.com, uh, and that's got all kinds of links to different little articles by me, and you can buy the books and all that sort of thing. And any bookstore that wants it, you can get it from the usual distributors. And that's footstepsintheattic.com. Correct. Well, thank you very much, Paul Eno. Uh, certainly, I think uh, you've given my listeners something to think about, especially people who might not have um, believed that uh, there could be some of the things that you're talking about, not only ghosts, but you know, taking this the steps further. So thank you very much in, uh, for sharing all of this with us, and good luck in continuing to discover some of this and in being able to find a way to communicate this communicate it that doesn't uh, freak people out. I don't think you have today, <laughs> but, um, but you know, obviously this is, uh, this is taking thought to a whole new dimension, literally, and uh, something that isn't a bad idea, as this dimension seems to be um, getting more problematic. All right, well, thank you, so, Doctor. It's been a pleasure to be with you. You're very welcome. Again, that's footstepsintheattic.com. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch on voiceamerica.com, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.